0: Uh, take your Bible and turn over there to the book of Isaiah in chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, so that you know, you see, there was uh, the division between Judah and Benjamin, Judah, where the Jews come from. and Then you had Israel, which was the northern ten tribes. So the northern ten tribes were separated from the southern two tribes, and the kingdom was divided after Solomon had passed away. And he died, and uh, the Bible says, because of his sin, he had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. So because of all those women, there was a price to pay. And the nation of Israel paid a price. So it was divided. And so the capital of Israel became Samaria. And the uh, capital there in Jerusalem for Judah. Well, as time goes on, you have the king of Israel, making a confederacy, a joining together, a covenant, for example, an agreement with Syria. And so they were going to come together against Judah. And if they come together against Judah, then they were going to take him off, Ahaz, and put their own king in there. Well, that that was a problem. God had a plan. And they had a plan. They were doomed to defeat. Because God had a purpose. And He didn't like what they were doing. And He would already told them, you don't make alliances with the wrong people. And that's what they were doing. They were putting their trust in their alliance that they had. So you'll notice here in Isaiah in chapter 7. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem. So you have Israel and Syria joining together into an alliance, and they're going to come against Jerusalem. If they come against Jerusalem, they come in against Judah. So Judah is the house of David, Jerusalem. And so, there is going to be a conflict of interest here. Because, see, God must protect the house of David. And He has to protect the king of Judah. Because, see, on down the line, there has to be a seed that will be born, that will claim the throne. So, God says, I'm going to give you a sign. Because somebody's got to be born, and it's going to be um, born of a virgin. So you notice there in verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, call His name Emmanuel. He'll be God with us. But see, He's coming from a certain place. And He'll get into a little bit more detail in chapter 9, in verse 6 of the book of Isaiah. But what I want you to see is this. In verse 2, And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. So you had these northern tribes the ten, Ephraim a little bit further north, joining together with Syria, and uh, they're making an agreement to take care of Judah. They had their plan. They were supposed to yield to God's authority. They were supposed to yield to the, the king that was supposed to yield to his authority. But nobody does what God wants. Everybody does their own thing, and they wonder why it doesn't work. And things get worse and worse and worse. Now, we're supposed to read these stories in the Old Testament. and supposed to make us wiser in the days in which we live. That, see, God said He will chasten His rebellious children. Now, you may trust Christ as Savior. You have eternal life. You're going to heaven when you die. You're not there yet. But between now and then, you can either use human wisdom, which is the umbrella with the holes, or you can use divine wisdom. When you submit yourself to the wisdom of God, you'll make better decisions for your life and you'll love the results of it. And God will bless you. But you try to use your wisdom contrary to what God says, and your is going to be punched full of holes. And God is going to let you see how unprotected you are, and that you can't prohibit the chastening hand of God in your life. God is so clear and so simple on this, but now I want you to look there in verse 5. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the sons of Romalia, he said, have taken evil counsel against thee. They've come together, evil counseling. And then verse 6, let us go up against Judah, and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in therein for us. So they got plans of their own. Well, some things don't go according to plan in verse 8, for the head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Resin. And within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. So God has given him a prophecy. So much time. Now this is not what in Jeremiah about the 70 years. This is different. See, God allowed Assyria to get both of them and then about a hundred and some years later, here comes Babylon and takes care of Judah. You would thought if the Judah could see what God did with the northern ten tribes, they would be wiser and knowing that God's going to chase them too. But they wouldn't believe it. And so there's a few things said here. And you'll notice in verse 9, there's one thing. See that word, if, if, if ye will not believe, if you will not believe. I'm going to tell you, this is what's going to happen to you. You're not going to like the results. So God is going to chase them. And people don't like to hear that. As a pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to feed the flock and warn the flock. Feed the flock, not fleece the flock, feed the flock. And the Bible talks about, you know, feed my sheep, not my giraffes. I mean, put the food down on the bottom shelf where everybody can understand what I'm saying. And I try to speak in such a way that I believe that little kids can understand what I'm saying. So you ought to understand what I'm saying and how important it is, and that it's not a game. We can't go through life just pretending, just pretend, just pretend that you're happy. And you put on a fake Christian smile, but inside it's just nothing but turmoil. Because you don't have the peace of God, you're just pretending you do. See, sooner or later, the holes in your umbrella is going to be revealed. You can't hide it for long. So he makes this statement here in verse 11, Verse 10 said, moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz. Now, he's the king of Judah. And so Judah is concerned because, you know, how can they protect themselves? I mean, here's these people joining together, two little tribes against ten, and then they got Syria, and it causes concern. So he says in verse 11, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he says, Hear ye now, O house of David, house of David. This is the Judah. You see, if God had promised to King David that through his line would come a seed, and has to come through the tribe of Judah, then Judah needs to understand God made a promise to the house of David that he's going to fulfill his will, his plan, You know, there's always somebody trying to annihilate somebody else. He says, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. And so He's talking about some things that are going to take place in the future. Now you know this verse is referring to Jesus Christ on down the line. And this is written over 700 years in advance before Christ ever came. Because, you see, it's like, is there a king that will do what God wants done? Everybody rebels against the Lord. You know, I sat down one day in my office and I cried because of the confidence or the trust that God put into his people and how good he's been, how blessed them he has, he's blessed them, and they rebel against him. Have you ever thought how God must feel after all that he's done, how God must hurt? When his children spit in his face and defy him. And wives won't love their husbands like God says and submit to them like God says. And men won't become the men they ought to be. How God must hurt because everybody listens to everything and everybody else and listens to the world and rebels against God. Children are rebelling against their Look at this world. It's pathetic. It's a shame and a disgrace. And to think that there's a good, kind, loving God up there that loves all of us. And so many of God's people don't live godly. Yeah, I I hurt because of that. And I want to try to encourage people, look, walk with the Lord. Trust the Lord. We're different. Be different. So anyway, here in uh, chapter 8, I want you to take a look at real quick. Look in chapters 8 and verse 7. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of a river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all the banks. In other words, here's like a river that begins to overflow the banks and the water goes everywhere. He said, I'm going to bring Syria and they're going to be like a river that overflows its banks and comes into your area. takes over. So God says, I will bring them against you. Because you rebelled against me, I'm going to give you a big enemy. So he says here, and all his glory. So look down in verse 9. In verse 9, associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces, And give here, all ye of far countries, gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. You see, you can't go against God and win. You can rebel against God, but God break you. You are not stronger than God. You cannot do like you want to do and get away with it. There's a price to pay. Everybody pays it. Or you can be smarter and wiser than the average person and say, I'm smart enough to realize that uh, I don't have it within me to guide my life, and I'm going to commit my life to the Lord. I'm going to do what God wants me to do with my life. And if you'll serve the Lord, God said He'll bless your life, and He'll give you wisdom beyond your dreams. Look what else He says here. In verse 10, Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. There's some things that God says, I want you to know. And He says over and over again. These are some things that are coming. Now look in chapter 9, and look there in verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first, and he lightly afflicted, underline those two little words, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict, you see the lightly afflicted, and then more grievously afflicted? You see, first of all, God tries to get you to understand, and he kind of gets your attention a little bit, you know. Have you ever had a child disobey? You say, hey, 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 that, that, that's enough. Okay, that didn't work. Hey, I said, don't do that again. And the third time, you have to kill him. No, no, one. <laughs> But it was lightly and then a little stronger, and then about the third time, they probably have you figure it out, and then they know, okay, He means it this time. So you then you correct the problem. But there is a progression. God kind of gives us a little light affliction to get our attention, and then a, a little bit more. And then if you don't listen to that, Katie, bar the door. Now, look there in verse 2. This verse is also quoted in the New Testament. It's a tremendous verse. But it says, The people have walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now believe it or not, it's a a statement about when Christ comes, because see, people are so rebellious. And all the warning that God gives, and that's why if you read the book of Isaiah in chapter 1, he says, ah, my people. He says, even the ox knows the crib, knows its owner, but my people, they just don't understand and he says, they're sick from the head to the toe. You're sick. And he's referring to his nation, the people of Israel. Now, if he says that to the nation of Israel, then that's a picture of the whole world. That's a picture of everybody. There is no perfect people. And God says, I've got a plan. I've got a man coming that's going to be born. He's going to be different. He's going to be the light And I want all those dwelling in darkness to see the light. And when you come to the Gospel of John, and you make this statement, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him that was made. And John came along the scene, and he says that He was not the light, but He was sent to bear witness of the light that all men through Him might believe. And he was in the world, and the world was made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And he was the one that the Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. He is the light of the world. You see, there was no man that was what God wanted him to be. We're all sinful, we're all wicked, we've all failed. And God says, i I got a man coming. And he's coming through Judah. He's coming as from the house of David, because God had made a promise to Solomon, David first and then Solomon. Now notice what he says here, down there in verse 6, For unto you, or unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counsel of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David. And that phrase, throne of David, is important because this is what is being talked about. And they want to come against the throne of David, against Judah. And so God says, uh, you have a plan. But God says, I've got a plan too. And God intervened and sent Assyria down. And that's when the northern ten tribes were taken into captivity. Could they disobey God? Yes. Rebelled against God? Yeah, they did. Did he get away with it? No, they didn't. Now, you and I are supposed to be smart enough to know that God can intervene in anything, in any area of our lives, either to bring blessings to us or the chastening hand of God. And he can use things and people and anything that you want. God is free. You and I are free to choose however we want to rebel, and God is free to see however he wants to whoop the tar out of us or maybe even take us home before our time. So who's going to do all of this? Well, that's why he makes the statement here in the last part of verse 7. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord is Christ Himself. Christ is coming. And that's why he makes this statement. He says, I've sent a word, a message, a light unto Jacob, I want you to see this. See there in verse 8, the Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim, and the inhabitants of Samaria. And this part of the verse you need to underline, because this is what they say, and say in the pride and stoutness of heart. You know, if all this happens like you promised that's going to take place, this is what we're going to do. Now in the video the other day, they brought a. Some good things about this verse, and I have no problem with that. But even in keeping in this context, they said, if the bricks are falling down, we will build with huge stones. The sycamores cut down, we won't change them into cedars. But what it's talking about is this. Suppose you rebel against your authority. Instead of admitting that it's wrong, you say, well, it worked out. how it works out is not the issue if you're in rebellion. You see, you can try. I'll try harder and I'll prove it. And all I've seen, that determination of some people, it don't matter if it's right or wrong, it's just this is what I want to do, and it doesn't matter what God wants. And so when things seem to go wrong, they try to make harder, work harder to make it successful. So if you get a job, and God blesses, Then when you rebel against the Lord because of your rebellion against Him, it's not that you correct the problem. You got two jobs. Now, maybe you have to get three jobs. And next thing you know, you do less and less for the Lord. And the very thing that God chastened you for to get you to come back to Him, you run further from Him. You ever seen kids do that with their parents? The more you try to love them and things aren't right, they run further and further away. And it hurts deeply. And sometimes you think, can't they see? Don't they understand that all you do is you just love them and you want the best for them, and it breaks your heart. But you can't stop it. That's the way God is. That's what he goes through. We break his heart. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says here. In verse 10 but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and join his enemies together. And then in verse 12, the Syrians before, the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel. Israel is the northern ten tribes. So God says, I'm going to turn Syria against you. The Assyrians are coming against you. The Philistines are behind you. You're done for, bud. But he says, I gave you a light affliction, and then more grievous affliction, and destruction has come. It's on its way. Now, you would think that somebody would believe what God has to say and correct their problem, but the majority of people don't correct problems. They just become defiant in their rebellion against God, and that is a shame. So take whatever I've said that you might be able to apply. You're the one that has to decide, are you in subjection to your authority? Are you a faithful individual? Do you pray for that person who's over you, whoever it may be? The man ought to be a man. The woman ought to be a godly woman. And you also pray for your children. And that's not always the easiest thing in the world, but god does have an ideal it's just that there's not many ideal marriages or ideal anything or ideal governments we thought we had one at one time not doing so good right now i think america is in the intensive care unit we, we really got a bad hard trouble I, we may have had a heart attack, but anyway if you're here tonight or if you're watching by internet understand that people lift themselves up in pride, a stout heart of rebellion against God. Even when it comes to salvation, you know the biggest reason I believe that a lot of people don't trust Christ as their Savior is because of pride. Pride. Well, I just don't believe it's that simple. It's not that, it's just too easy. There's got to be more to it than that. And they just can't let go of their own will. And listen to what God says. Look up here, this hand represents you and me, the wall represents sin, we all have sin on it. God says He loves us. Now He hates our sin, but He loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. And God says to go to heaven you have to be perfect, and none of us are. And there's the impossibility. Man cannot improve himself. He cannot make himself perfect by anything he does. So there's no amount of good works that a man can do that makes him perfect, good enough to go to heaven. That's why the Bible says we need a Savior. This sin represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from the Lord. So Christ took all the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And said that if you and I, if we would believe He did it for us, He would put this payment to our account. We go to heaven on what Christ did for us. Wouldn't it be neat if everybody just believed what God said? If you can't earn your way to heaven. Well, the only way you can get it, it, has to be free. If you can't earn it, it has to be free. And that's why God says, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you will accept this payment Christ made for you, you have a payment for all of your sins. If I've got a payment for all of my sin, there's no sin for me to pay for. I can't go to hell today. I can't go tomorrow. I can't go 100 years from now because I don't have any sins to pay for. Christ paid for all of mine. He paid for all of yours. So if I don't have any sins to pay for, there's only one place to go. I can't go to hell because those sins are paid. I'm going to heaven when I die. So I can know that I'm going to heaven whenever I die, and all I had to do was believe that when Christ died, he died for me. He paid for my sins. So I accepted this payment Christ made for me, and God has given to me the free gift of everlasting life. Yes, that was 53 years ago. Now, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't serve the Lord to get to heaven. But I have learned a few things. I found out even by watching other people that broke God's heart, and I also watched God break theirs. I've seen God discipline and correct individuals. I've seen people pay a great price for their rebellion. I'm not the smartest kid, in the world, but I'm smart enough to see that was a dumb move. Why in the world should I rebel against God when he has, I hate to say it this way, he holds all the cards? Don't make God mad. Don't make God angry. Man, he's the last person in the world I'd want to offend because he has the power to do whatever he chooses to do. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here tonight, and if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you're watching by Internet, understand God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his Son to pay for your sins. And that if you would trust him as your Savior, he would save you and give you the free gift of everlasting life. And if you're here tonight, and you're not sure of going to heaven, Would you just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me, and I'm going to trust you tonight as my Savior. Friend, if you'll do that, just that much, God said he would save you. he would never cast you out never lose you. And I'd like to have prayer for you. And I want to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you, and you said, preacher, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me. We'll just slip you in it very quickly and put it right back down Is say anyone at all. Anyone at all. For every one of you that know Christ as your Savior, are you proud and defiant against God? Serve the Lord with all your heart. Trust God's way to work. Humble yourself before Him. Heal to the Lord. Be a good husband. Don't rebel against God. Be a good wife. Love your kids. Kids love your parents do right. Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for this day and this night and your word. And Father, help the people here to know that you really do love them. You care about them. You don't want them to have even the light afflictions of the grievous afflictions. You don't want to have to destroy them by taking them home ahead of their time. Use each one. Bless them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.